This is a journey into sound. Brought to you in living color on WTDR. I'm Tony Epstein. It's the Magical Mystery Tour. Join us as we dive into the heart of things, exploring new ideas and new ways of seeing and being in this wondrous, crazy world we share together. Lying on your back in the garage, you can't see a thing except for the clear blue sky, a few cotton wool clouds. and higher in the great dome of the sky, filling it with song. Higher and higher, filling it with song. Filling it with song. They sound quite mad, don't they? It's a story, but that's why I'm here, to tell you stories. Are you sitting comfortably? Well, put your seatbelts on, because you're in for a howling ride. I am a narrator. Voice the guides the blind, following up with your ears, with your mind, and allow me to take you back on fourth through time to explain the significance of things you may think insignificant now, but won't further down the line. Good morning, Margie Winslow. Good morning, Tonio. Welcome again. Welcome back to the Magical Mystery Tour. Very happy to be invited. So, I had a lot of fun talking with you last week about your your adventures and misadventures with Caleb, your your large, rather large white donkey. Yes. <laughs> And you wrote a book, which we talked about, called Smart Ass, How a Donkey Challenged Me to Accept His True Nature and Rediscover My Own. And after the show, we, we had an email conversation. And as I was thinking back on, on our conversation, I was, realize, I was having memories of of my my own donkey nature <laughs> during my childhood and not just the typical um, 
stubbornness and and resistance towards my parents, which <laughs> I think everyone ex- goes through, but but also um, a more individuated sense of donkiness, as opposed to just being obstreperous or or you know difficult. <laughs> yes, instead of just. Um uh, refusing to do what other people want, um, having your own idea about how the world works. Yes, and how how perhaps it it should work or shouldn't work. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, when when I was first um, looking into donkeys uh, last time, I talked about my working in the Dominican Republic and seeing them uh, and and becoming fascinated by them. But one of the things that uh, kept resonating, and and what I read about donkeys, and then going to donkey and and mule shows was um, things like uh, that the animals are um, uh, independent, um, but willing to be partner with uh, those they trust, uh, which resonated with me, and um, and also like. Um, other characteristics of them as being um, <laughs> undervalued, underestimated, um, not very showy, um, but having a tremendous amount of um, unrecognized intelligence, which I was feeling quite a bit in my job at the time, uh, underappreciated and all that. Um, but also the donkeys, um, they look at the world, uh, they're not... Uh, herd animals, so they they look at the world as individuals, they're very curious about the world and can be very gregarious, um, but they make their own decisions about who they will uh, invite into their, um, into their trust. So, so some of those elements uh, really resonated with me deeply, and, um, and I thought that a donkey would be just the perfect uh, animal. Uh, partner for me to have. <laughs> Little did you know how perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so sometimes he was acted as a mirror to my soul, and other times uh, he was the perfect foil or nemesis. Um, uh, all of the above, but um, that, that's what our journey is uh, about, and our journey continues uh, with some of the same. Uh, hijinks and mischief and um, misadventures as, as are recounted in the book. I'm, I'm fascinated by how human-like donkeys are, especially in the, in the way they relate to us. Okay. Um, uh, would you like to say a little bit more about what, what struck you? Because uh, I, I, I can go on. But, well, um, well I, I'm looking into the mirror and seeing myself a lot, and and I I appreciate the opportunity to see myself in mirrors, even even when when the reflection is not pretty or or not uh, um, flattering. Yes, Cause, I get that because I I feel like I can learn a lot. In fact. The only thing I can really learn is when I'm getting to look at the unflattering, cringe-worthy aspects or reflections of myself. The things that look good just make me feel more and more complacent about myself. And yeah. yeah, yes, I, I was wondering if um, 
you felt this too, or if any of your listeners did, that um, if 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 what is mirrored back to me is sort of uh, praise and flattery and things like that, I sometimes kind of doubt it, or I think maybe I've tricked them, <laughs> people, mm-hmm. into thinking, oh, well, you know, they, they think this idea is brilliant. I guess I, you know, put one over on them. And um, even though deep inside, you know, I want recognition and I want to be appreciated, um, if I get too much praise or uh, over a period of time, I begin to think that um, maybe, uh, you know, that the, the part of me that, feels like an imposter. I, I think a lot of us feel that way that, um, you know, when I first started teaching, I felt like, well, I'm, you know, standing up here pretending to be a college professor, uh, that we feel like imposters uh, while we're um, especially new to things. But um, but I, I have felt that way off and on <laughs> throughout my life. And um, one of the things about uh, donkeys is that, uh, and, of course, Caleb, taught me this directly was that he challenged me to accept his true nature and uh, what that means is that you know he was not a wannabe um, show horse or dressage pony he was a unique individual and even after reading being an academic of course I, I read lot <laughs> too many books uh, about donkeys and donkey behavior that um, that even among donkeys he was a unique individual with his own ideas and, I think, a wicked sense of humor uh, compared to other donkeys I've met. Now, there's always a danger we're projecting onto them, but having a close-up um, relationship with Caleb and, and a genuine desire after the first year or two of sort of trying to impose things on him and impose, uh, and the trainers trying to impose things on him, that... Um, that I actually began to observe and accept and be open to his true nature. And I think as humans, we all hope that there'll be someone in this world, and maybe if we're lucky, more than one someone, who who will recognize our true nature. And sometimes we don't even know what that true nature is ourselves. And, and like you say, the, the various kinds of mirrors, um, if we don't, duck those uh, negative reflections and, and learn from them, um, we eventually do figure out who we are as unique individuals. Um, so that there's this process of differentiation I think we all go through. Uh, I, I was more solitary and independent. I was more like for hiking and bike riding and horseback riding and not team sports, but I did play in the band orchestra and performed in choir and those kinds of group activities, but um, I was not never a groupie, uh, and in fact, I, you know, when I went through the junior high school stage where all the girls were buying the exact same sweater and things, I, I did not do that. Um, on the other hand, I wanted to belong, and, um, and I... Observing Caleb, uh, he lives among um, 45 horses and ponies, um, I can see the same dynamic working through him that that he's himself and wouldn't um, want to be any other way. On the other hand, he wants to be appreciated um, and be uh, have friends. He has two girlfriends, one um, 
rather small chestnut mare named Cheyenne and one very big draft horse named Candy. And um, they are very affectionate with him. So <laughs> he's, he's found his family grouping. Um, but anyway, I think some of the things that I noticed in Caleb, initially I think I was projecting preconceived notions on him. But later on, I think I learned by just letting him be himself and watching him with me and with others and even observing him uh, by himself to, to try to learn who, who, is, who is this individual and to appreciate him for who he was. Mm. I just love all of what you just said, and I can relate to all of it so much. And maybe I'll even remember all the things that you touched on and, and reflect my own experience. But, but I have to say, in, in total agreement, that how wonderful it is to, to have friends or intimate partners who, who know us, know our, our true nature, and accept us as we are with, with all our flaws, you know, yeah. positives and negatives. And I also find, and I'm sure that, and you, you've spoken about that in, in relation to Caleb, but I think it's, it's equally true with all the people in our lives when we can, when we can learn to accept everyone in our life for who they are as yes. they are with, yes. with all their warts and, and imperfections. I think it, it just makes, I know it makes my life so much richer and f full and harmonious. Yes. Yes, me too. And I, I think, um, I don't know if it's just a function of youth or, or what, but, um, or my own um, family background with my extremely dysfunctional um, family was that I always wanted to fix things. So, you know, I'd, I'd be giving advice, you know, unasked for unwanted <laughs> advice to friends, you know, and, you know, if they had constant colds, I was, you know, talking about vitamins, you know, you got to take vitamin C. And I kept giving people advice and, um, and, and that's just a, a tr uh, sort of a trivial thing. But, but in terms of, you know, if they were sad, I, of course, didn't want them to be sad. So I'd think of all kinds of solutions to their problem. And uh, one of the things I realized, uh, and some of it came to uh, my realization with my donkey, is that um, I didn't listen. I thought I was listening and caring, but I was constantly trying to fix things and um, instead of just listen and actually get the get to the the depth of the problem you know not not to appoint oneself as, as a therapist I'm not trained for it um, and it's none of you know none of my business but I to to really listen to someone and to let and for that person to know that you are present and that's the thing about animals, um, and probably with children too, um, is that they know when you're present and when you're not present. And uh, some of the more serious parts in the book Smartass um, were 
you know, both, both serious things and, and sometimes humorous things uh, were times when I was trying to impose uh, or fix something uh, in Caleb, you know, that he would do <laughs> patterns in the ring correctly or that he would um, go from point A to point B uh, in a timely manner. And, um, and and actually, by the way, he's he's not impossible he does actually do what i want most of the time but it took a few, a few years before we really developed you know, before the the tug of war and the the pushing and pulling um gave way and and what it involved was me finally letting caleb be caleb and then i found surprise surprise he was willing to do what i wanted and he's become a wonderful um you know trail companion, uh, walking or riding, uh, but I had to come to a point, he was always himself, but I had to come to a point where I could let him be himself, and then he was willing to do what I wanted most of the time. <laughs> and I suspect by that time you had less desire for him to do those other things. That's true, but you know, um, because uh, I had to board him uh, rather than having him in my backyard, which I, I actually glad in retrospect that the zoning wouldn't allow it because I, I would have probably spoiled him rotten and not challenged him to do anything, and in which case I would have had a very large, um, possibly uncontrolled animal. Um, but because I, I boarded him and, and the stable is... Uh, dressage stable, um, they, you know, insisted that I actually do something with them. They they did not have pasture ornaments. They're, every horse did something in the ring and regularly. And so I kept feeling that I had to perform in the ring. And because it's a, a very big, busy stable, um, people were constantly watching and we were doing terribly. And we still don't do very well, but... Uh, we, I was constantly under scrutiny, which I really hated because this was supposed to be a relief from the stresses at work. And here I was trying to, you know, put up another uh, front of the competent rider who could even make a donkey do dressage. And But because um, the, the trainers there were constantly imposing um, uh, uh, goals on me and I did want him I mean base, the very basic level of dress size there's all the beautiful prancing around and everything else that we've never <laughs> we've never mastered but but basically it's it's one way to learn about steering and and gas and brakes <laughs> and, um, and so I was willing to go along with it because that's what was on offer but Caleb uh, and I were certainly not a good fit for something as as um meticulous and uh, fancy as dressage. But um, anyway, uh, getting back to your point, though, um, yeah, if, if I had uh, had my, my original image was him and me riding off into the sunset um, or on a trail uh, together, either walking side by side or riding. And we still do, we do that. But one of the things early on was, um, and I mentioned it briefly in the book, was that um, since I didn't have a trailer, 
uh, I could only go when somebody invited me along, uh, and that would be a horse person. And they were not going to invite us to go on a trail uh, unless we could, unless I could control them, unless I could <laughs> get them to do something. It's no fun for somebody to take you on a trail ride and have the donkey just stand there and do nothing um, or wander off into the bushes and pricker bushes and stuff and get stuck. So nobody would invite me to go anywhere given how badly we were doing. So that was one more incentive for us to try to do well in the ring. But the ring was never our natural environment for Caleb or for me. Um, and uh, it took me a long time before I had to, to face that, that we really wanted to do something else. And, and that was be together either alone or with another uh, trail rider. And have you been able to do that more, considering the the constraints of the stable? Yes, um, you know we're in a a, a suburb um, about twenty miles north of New York City in Rockland County, and um, the suburbs have grown up all around us. Um, but fortunately, at least up up to the present time, uh, they've pretty well held the line on. There's about forty percent public land, which is Kind of amazing, this close to New York City, and um, some of it, uh, including some of the rail trails, are accessible to equines, and some are not. And so, I can get to, I can walk Caleb to some of these, um, and one of them actually abuts the the stable, and and that that is a, a true. Um, uh, asset of the stable in that um, we're right next to uh, the property of the um, the water company. So there's a huge reservoir there with woods all around it. And our stable has permission to ride back there, which is a privilege that could be removed if, if it was um, overused or misused. But we can ride back there, and I do that, you know, three times a week. And it's just a small, you know, a few acres of... of uh, trails cut through the woods and so that's what we do most of the time now mm. well i'm glad you have that access i was i was troubled by by how i remember there was one story where you you rode alongside this road for several miles to get to this old what you thought was an abandoned um mental health facility yes and that that was uh, that was like a a, a pretty bizarre um, event and really dangerous as yeah. well. Yeah, uh, one of the yeah one of the problems is the the uh, roads around um, people often speed and uh, is it seems that everybody's on the road all the time and um, and so when I mapped out this route to this. Um, uh, old psychiatric center, which had been, um, it was shut down and um, taken over by the county to be developed. Some of it in, in the, in the um, years since uh, I uh, acquired Caleb. Some of it has become, um, you know, playing fields and things like that. Um, but the old buildings are uh, were all boarded up and everything, and I didn't think that there were any patients there at all, which that story <laughs> um, 
culminates with us finding out that um, that we were wrong that there there are uh, resident patients there in in one building, but um, but the thing is getting there as you started to say, uh, I mapped out areas that had wide shoulders on the roads uh, so we could actually not be walking on in the lanes all the time, and um, and I took care of it's, it's only that one. Uh, example in the book, but um, I took them many times out on the road like that, and sometimes it was really scary because people would speed, uh, they would honk their horn, which was, and I would look left because I was going in the direction of traffic. I, I would look left to see who was coming, and Kayla would feel me torque in the saddle, which is a signal to turn left. So he'd actually turn into the lane. Uh, and uh, so I ended up getting one of those bicycle um, mirrors so that I could see who was coming without turning my head uh, and signaling to Caleb to go into the road. And But anyway, it's yeah, it's, it's a mixed um, thing at best. You, know, you can pick early morning, um, et cetera, and... Uh, it's great on snowy days because um, uh, there are fewer people out. But yeah, it is it is hard uh, being in the suburbs. Uh, and Caleb and I would, in another life, would probably be very happy out on a ranch somewhere. Yeah, that's what I would think. Um, mm-hmm. You were you were talking about you know kind of being forced to to do things in the ring with Caleb and. That made me think of you know learning, learning to communicate with with Caleb. You know, learning donkey communication because learning to not only you learning how to do it, but also, um, well, actually, yeah, you can talk about the the dynamic between you and Caleb in the in the training process of learning how to communicate um, what you want him to do, how to how to direct him and guide him and communicate your intentions with him and how that works. Yeah. Okay. Um, One of the things that that works absolutely the best and from day one is when I walk side by side at his shoulder. And and so he knows exactly what I want to do at what pace and everything. Um, As soon as you're riding on the animal's back. First of all, I can't see you. but And then you have layers of uh, saddle pads in the saddle itself. And so they can feel your weight, and they can feel your weight shifting, um, <clears throat> but they don't necessarily know what it means initially. And, um, and then you have the reins. And one of the things in the book, which was an ongoing conflict with, with one of the trainers who was a Western trainer is that I would not use a western style bit which has long shanks um, on the side and when you pull on the reins it rotates the bit in the mouth so it hits the roof of the mouth uh, and uh, also well depending on how it's rigged you know compresses the tongue and pinches the chin so it's it's a very harsh bit um, but it is standard all over the West and in Western riding. It's not you, It's not allowed, actually, with English riding and, and shows. But I chose right from the get-go that I did not want to have anything harsh. So I got the the most 
uncomfortable um, snaffle bit, and um, which gave me no mechanical advantage whatsoever <laughs> with the donkey. So I had this, you know, 700-pound animal with, you know, probably 100 pounds of muscle <laughs> in, his, in his neck alone, and trying to turn him or stop him was quite a challenge. But all throughout the frustrations of getting him to, you know, turn left, right, stop, go. I never wanted to use harsher methods. I never used spurs. Um, I did have a crop, um, and I've never been able to apply it more than just a a tap. (laughs) I've never used it harshly on him. Um, And there were times that I'm embarrassed to say that I got so frustrated and so embarrassed because usually there were other people looking that, you know, I'd be yelling and cursing and things like that and in tears, but that I, I never tried to use those, those aids as they call them, um, to gain more advantage over the donkey. Now, if I had, I probably would have had a more compliant donkey earlier on, maybe, or he might've become more and more oppositional and, and even mean, which can happen with a donkey, if you're um, harsh or cruel with him, with donkeys more than horses, they they really resent it. And so I, my inability to to um, control him in the traditional ways that you know bits and spurs have been used for thousands of years, um, because I was unwilling to use those, uh, I had much more of a challenge with Caleb. On the other hand, I just simply refused to to use them. And so anyway, so when, when riding, um, he basically is going to feel a tug uh, on his cheek when I pull on the reins, or, uh, or he may just feel the slackening of the reins when I'm not paying attention and daydreaming. Um, but uh, he doesn't ever experience any um, pain, and therefore he has to want to do, (laughs) or at least be in on the plan, um, to do what I want, because I can, he knows that a little tug on his left cheek means I want him to turn left, but but in no way is that going to physically make him turn left, unless he wants to, and so the whole thing about the book was, first of all, my inability to assume the role of alpha and dominate him and the second thing was that he needed to trust me and want to do what I want to do so we could become partners which which he did which he eventually did but you had to learn a lot in terms of how to be in in a way that he could trust you yes and because of all the stresses at work at the time, I worked in New York City, long commute, uh, bean counting administrators and, and worse with entrepreneurial models and things and ignoring students and classroom needs. Um, I was very frustrated all the time. I was distracted and it showed. I would show up at the, uh, at the stable you know, I think, you know, I just fight my way through an hour of traffic. I've got 30 minutes before the sun sets, and I'm going to spend it with Caleb, and we're going to go in the ring, and we're going to loop around the ring twice. 
and I would show up with this agenda. And the more I was like that, the less likely Caleb would want to do it. <laughs> he read my, in fact, he mirrored my moods perfectly, and I didn't recognize it at first, um, that, you know, the worse mood I was in, the worse mood he was in. And so I really had to find a way, and um, I, you know, I'm not always perfect at it, but find a way to clear my head, to be present. Uh, some of the things that I've learned briefly and you know, doing a little bit of meditation and uh, things like that, of, of being in the moment uh, and not judging, being receptive. And I had to do that in order to, to do anything with Caleb. Yeah, um, it's fascinating how I remember back a few years ago doing an interview with, with a, a, a brain surgeon who was also a horse trainer. And he, so, somehow it, it occurred to me in our conversation that, that horses are like really effective spiritual teachers probably more so than human spiritual teachers because I think, you know, working through the the English language that we're familiar with can be, can just make so many more obstacles to actually understanding the true meaning, whereas with the animal, you're relating to them in the most direct way possible. Yes. Yes, and uh, and they don't have uh, animals don't have the gift of speech, so it's all body language. And one of the things about donkeys is that, um, and horses to a certain degree is they are their body language is very subtle. Um, now I've had dogs, and not only are they, you know very smart and they read people really well and they train you as much as you train them but but we because of tens of thousands of years of of selective uh breeding um dogs are very attuned to people and we know probably don't we're always learning new things but we know to a certain extent how to read um dog language and and the way that they have um co-evolved with people is that you know they they express emotions in ways that we can usually read if we're if we're willing to pay attention. Um, w- horses are, are much more subtle, and donkeys are more subtle yet. Um, at the veterinary conference I attended uh, in August, they were showing um, short clips of of um, donkeys or a donkey. Um, and, you know, there's a clip of the donkey who is um, bored, a clip of the donkey who's hungry, uh, in pain, lonely. And at first glance, they all look exactly the same. You just see an animal standing there. You have to really tune in to see what it is in terms of donkey's ears are extremely expressive and they're so big, um, they're <laughs> they're hard to miss. Um, 
and probably more expressive than those of, of horses. Um, and the, the position of the tail, the, the posture, uh, the, the, how the head is, you know, whether the head is sort of hanging there on the neck or whether it's up high. And so you need to learn that language. And so when I showed up at the, at the stable uh, with my own agenda, I didn't notice those things. Uh, you know, it was like I was going to put a key in a motor scooter and I'm gonna, I was going to drive off. Um, and so sometimes I misread him very badly. And what happened in the book is, is you mentioned, we talked about last time also, is that, that eventually I became so out of, because of my own preoccupations and stresses, I became so out of tune with him that the, he ended up charging me and trampling me. Uh, which led to almost led to the end of our relationship, and it, it was because I mean any now that I think back on it, I was a fool not to notice the signs. He was certainly noticing my signs, but he thought every time I showed up, I was furious at him. That's what he saw, and I I thought that what he would see is that I've had a terrible day. And um, he was going to make it up to me by being nice, which is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, pour me a glass of wine and tell me to put my feet up. Yeah, right. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> he was responding exactly the way I was presenting myself, which was in a, in a fury, distracted manner. Yes, and yeah, it reminded me of a friend of mine had a cat who would loved attention, but would quickly tire of it. And at a certain point, once he'd given it too much attention, its tail would start whipping back and forth. Yes, yes. And that was a sign that the cat was about to swipe you. Yes. And if a cat, if the cat's ears went down, that was even more pronounced of a signal that, that the cat was going to, going to rake you with its claws or, or bite yes. you. Time to stop petting them. Time to put them down. Yeah. They're, they're no longer, um, you know, stuffed animals on your lap. Yeah. I've, I've, my, my cats have always been that way too. And, and I would sometimes tend to, because I needed the the physical contact, I would sometimes ignore these things, you know, for a, a few seconds too long to my peril. But yeah, they would they let you know when they'd had enough. Um, uh, and and cat, cats to me are um, since I was raised with dogs um, are still very mysterious, and their body language is different from dogs, and I can't say that I've necessarily um, made a study out of it. But, yeah, that you can certainly tell when, when they're getting annoyed, and, and, you need, and you need to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yep. Uh, and I, I remember when you were describing the way Caleb would respond, if his ears went, went flat against the back of his yes. head, that was a danger, a danger sign. And yes. if he started swishing his tail, that... So it was yes. very similar to cats in that way. 
Yes, yes, that's a good point. And the funny thing is with horses, um, the tail, as far as I know, now some some equine behaviors may correct me on this, but um, the tail only swishes back and forth to repel flies. It, it's not a major personality thing. With Caleb, he will actually whip it back and forth. Like if he doesn't want you cleaning his back hoof, he will, you know, rake it across your face like a cat of nine tails. Um, you know, get away from here. He uses it as as an appendage consciously. And um, so, yeah, something to pay attention to. Uh, and then sometimes there are things like just pointing the back hoof in anticipation of kicking. Um, donkeys do kick uh, more than horses. Um, I have never been able to 100% break him of that. Uh, even the farrier is tuned into. Fortunately, he works with a lot of donkeys too. So when he's doing his hoofs, he 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 knows he knows when to uh, back off. But um, but yeah, if Caleb's getting fed up, uh, you know, and he starts tapping the tip of his hind hoof and and sort of um, uh, uh, tensing his his hip, uh, you know, he's ready to kick. And it may be just a, a fake kick, you know, an air kick. Um, that's what it is, ninety percent, ninety-five percent of the time. But but yeah, watch out. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. people who are around horses know. You know, even the most wonderful horse, um, gentle pony you've ever had, you always, you should always pay attention, especially around their their feet, because uh, they are they can be deadly weapons, and you know, never to to be unaware of um, when you're handling their feet, and um, and even experienced um, horse people have gotten uh, kicked. Uh, when they were just not paying attention. And, you know, the animal, it could be, you know, wasp, you know, stinging their belly, or it could be something really huge causing the problem. But, um, but yeah, you have to pay attention at all times with animals. Now, I think um, with the dogs I had, one was a purebred corgi, and the second was half corgi and half uh, traveling salesman, <laughs> some, some sort of hound. Uh, he was like a sawed-off ha- hound. Um, he, they... They never, I, I never felt that I had to be vigilant around them. Uh, they were so tuned into humans and they were safe with toddlers and babies. And by the way, Caleb is wonderful with toddlers and babies and special needs children. He's just an angel. It, it's only with um, people like me uh, that he sometimes misbehaves. He, he can be a little bit of a jerk, but, um, or a smartass, as the title of the book said. Um, but, yeah, very, very gentle with children. But, um, and my dogs were the same way, that, that they they just, even if mistreated, they just would not do anything. Now, a cat will only take so much, and mm-hmm. if a kid handles them roughly, they'll they'll try to get away, but they, they may uh, um, swipe. Right. Yeah. But, but unlike the dogs that you've had, most dogs send out a very, very clear signal. They'll start growling. That's their 
that's their first yeah. primary signal, and it's pretty much their only signal that they do. I mean, their ears yeah. might go back too, but generally the snarl yeah. or growl will be the first sign that that that's whatever right. you're doing is is not right, yeah. or or that or that um, they they might that if you or that you need to back off. Yes, and uh, and they'll raise their hackles, which is more that visible too. in some dogs than others. Right, but usually there's a growl as well. Yes, yes. So even if you're not paying attention, you'll hear that. That's right, and you don't get that with equines. Right. Uh, even you may cats. sometimes get a growl from a cat. Um, that's um, true. You sometimes do, but often you don't. No, that's right. So you really have to be tuned in visually more than with dogs. Yes. I, I mean, I think one should always be vigilant with dogs, too. And I know mm-hmm. encountering them on the trail, um, you know, if I'm going for a walk or something and I see certain um, behaviors of dogs, I know to, you know, stay very far away from them because mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're possibly going to be aggressive. Yeah. So, so yeah, so it's a matter of observing. And um, I, I, correct me if I... I if I mentioned this last time, um, a, uh, a friend of mine uh, adopted a little girl from Siberia. Did I tell you this last time? I don't think so. Uh, okay. Um, so she uh, uh, she adopted this uh, baby from an orphanage. It was six months old. And, um, and she had a lot of trouble with it. She wrote a book about it called Saving Julia Twice by Tina Traster. Now, she was new to mothering in general uh and so any you know she probably made mistakes just because she wasn't clued in and she and um, and like most um americans she didn't have a you did tell the story now yes you did tell the story and i'm now i'm i'm remembering that that the baby that the child had been used to her birth mother and their and her new mother's body language uh, and communication style was was very different so it right. made her v- very insecure right and it wasn't just language it was how she was picked up mm-hmm. uh, how she was coddled when she was coddled um you know whether she was perched on you know over the shoulder uh or whatever and it was just different and um and it took a while to um you know to to come to an understanding and uh and I, I think a lot of parents probably go through this where they they sort of think it's instinctual um and to a certain extent it is but that even their kids are different from one another in terms of how much they want to be touched or picked up and uh etc so yeah and so, especially if we're not paying attention if we're not tuned in to their state of being Yes, and if we think of them as a, you know, just a cute bundle or, or, a, or a burden or whatever. Yeah. Something that, that, that we need to, to mold to our whim, our will, and our desire. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. So, so we, the things that we learn about animals apply to humans and, and vice versa. Yes, yeah. especially ch- human children, because human children they will act out in those more natural ways. They haven't been as conditioned yet as adults. Yes. 
and animals are are themselves they and and donkeys seem to be even more so it seems (laughs) yes they certainly are and and the donkey and mule trainers and owners i've met around the country um have said you know every donkey they have had or trained um has been a an individual so when when we talk about what method works best with donkeys well there's some differences between what uh, what works best with horses versus donkeys. Um, but the individual donkey um, has a range of personalities, uh, just not, maybe not quite as complex or as as plastic as, as humans have or, or as subtle, but, but they have, um, that they're different from each other. So what worked with one um, might require something else with another one, which, which again gets us back to paying attention and being present and being open. Um, and as an academic, you know, I, as soon as I got interested in donkeys, I read every book I could find and took notes and index cards and everything else and, and uh, tried to apply these methods. And, and I had to eventually just toss them out and start paying attention. Right. I, I, I quite remembered that aspect of your story in the book that you you had read so so many things and and you even you even described certain things that you needed to pay attention to and and things to yeah to to be observant of and you would repeatedly during those first few years with Caleb totally forget everything that that you thought you had learned about donkeys in the moment (laughs) yes everything would go out the window and when i was frustrated and again i was um uh that you know not using it as an excuse but it, it was probably the worst time of in terms of stresses and pressures it was probably the worst time in my life to to acquire or to care for another being um, I uh, am fortunate to have a wonderful husband who, during those years, was out at sea all the time. <laughs> so, but when um, he wasn't, when he was around, he, I remember that, that first trip that you took out to that uh, psychiatric facility, he, <laughs> he, he had, was it his idea to, to get on a bicycle and, and no. lead the way? No, it was my idea. That was your idea. Okay. Because I, 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 yeah. Because I remember that that at first, well, actually, on the way, he was he was going really fast, and you were really frustrated that he was going so fast because you felt more and more out of control. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and you, you kept trying to get him to slow down, and finally, toward the end, he, he, he let you know that there's no way I'm slowing down with that crazy beast running after me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Caleb kept trying to catch up with him and and uh, you know actually mount mount the he mounted the bicycle uh, at, and uh, grabbed Joe's hat off and tore off the uh, the saddle pack and you know yeah so so the faster the more Caleb was was tailgating him um, and trying to nibble at his ear and stuff the the, the Faster, Joe tried to pedal to get away from him, which speeded Caleb up. Um, so yeah, it was it was uh, 
uh, comedy of errors, to say the least. But, yeah, the, I had noticed that um, when I walked Kale about on the roads, that if a bicycle came by, he would start trotting after it. So I thought, well, this is great, because if I can get him to follow somebody, he'll be less distracted by the, um, you know, by the traffic, uh, and uh, which, which more or less proved to be true, except for the, the problem of Joe uh, trying to <laughs> escape from this uh, overly uh, playful donkey uh, and trying to get away from us. Mm-hmm. Another really fascinating part of the story were the Bridgmans. They were such an odd family. They were they were all so different. I mean, the mother Lou and Farley were somewhat similar, except that Farley, the daughter, was was grumpy and and kind of domineering in her style of training. But their her father, Jack, was was almost the exact opposite, although I don't... You didn't describe any times when he was actually out there doing any of the hands-on training. That's right. Uh, he wasn't <clears throat> involved with, with Caleb. Uh, but, he always, he was, but he had lots of these very wise sayings about donkeys, and he, had, he, had, he also had great insight into the way Caleb was with you. And he, yeah. would, he would tell you these, these like, gems of of wisdom yes and um man of few words um yeah the the bridgman family um they're they're the only donkey and mule trainers in new york state um and they uh live about uh, they have a a big farm about oh 30 miles from where i bought caleb and i i knew that caleb had been trained there briefly um when he was about two years old, so I sent him back there before I brought him home initially. Um, and the Bridgmans were just the most amazing people. They, they, they seem to be from another century. Uh, their house, um, here it is in, in the snow belt uh, east of Buffalo, New York, um, they had no central heating. They had a wood stove in one room. They had almost no furniture, which is sort of wooden benches, um, and uh, I, I assumed that they slept upstairs, you know, and I, I was thinking they probably were under bearskins or something, because I, I couldn't figure out how they lived, and uh, and they were, they were incredible characters. I, when I first arrived, I got there nine in the morning, and they offered me a bourbon, um, and the, the amazing thing about this is, uh, despite the fact that they sip bourbon or beer, generally watered-down bourbon or beer, um, you know, in small amounts throughout the day. They never seemed to be affected by it, uh, unless part of the laid-back attitude was, was uh, <laughs> I could attribute to the to their imbibing. But, um, but they seemed to be very um, calm at all times, and uh, there were many... You know, there there were only a few um, representative things that I could get into a, a short book like that, but um, they just seem to have centuries of wisdom, especially the parents, about, you know, the history of donkeys and mules and, and how they behave and how they're individuals, um, and also a tremendous amount of humor about it. And, you know, at one point I was talking about why is it that 
you know, we can practice this so many times and get it perfectly right, and then Caleb will refuse to do it. And and Jack said to me, well, that's because he's a donkey. <laughs> so, so even though... Even though you can train them forever, they're still going to decide on on the moment what, what they're going to do, and you can never tell. And uh, so it was it was a wonderful thing for me in that time. I was uh, staying in this this horrible uh, moldy hotel up the road, and um, and it was snowing all the time. And and the the time I spent with them, they were very busy. Had a lot of uh, horses as well as. Uh, mules to train um so i didn't have many long long conversations with them except for the christmas eve when they invited me over um but i had a lot of these short things which which i stored away um some of these comments that jack many of jack's comments were pretty uh, amusing and um and lou's were more wise oh, she was the one about one clear thought pay attention, et cetera, and although it took a while for me to actually um, have that sink in. Now, Farley, uh, who grew up with these exotic parents, and they, they dressed in sort of Western clothes, and they, they had this, you know, they had guns around. It was interesting for someone coming from the suburbs. to They, they, it, they lived in Wyoming County, New York, and it was more like Wyoming, <laughs> the state, in my mind, of, of how people would live. And, you know, the, the only decorations in the house were... I got were, that sense, too. I mean, I was even confused yeah. when you said Wyoming County because I was like, wait a minute, you're in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. But, but the environment and the way they, they were, it really seemed like it was the wild, wild west of Wyoming. And that's the way they behaved. And they had... Um, I think they were both from... New York or New England originally, but they had spent a lot of time out west. Um, and uh, it's hard to imagine them any other way than the way I found them. And and I think they enjoyed um, kind of shocking the the city slicker a little bit uh, with uh, with both what they said and occasionally what they did. And and Farley, their daughter, um, they had two daughters. Uh, I only met the other daughter this past summer. Um, the other daughter had nothing to do with, with equine. She got into gymnastics early, very seriously. Um, and but Farley was the one uh, going around uh, the state performing on mules and got into training. And so when I met her, um, she was uh, then in her 30s. Uh, she... She was beginning to resent advice from her parents. They they were not quite ready to let go and let Farley take over the business, um, which which she has now because it's, it's I've now known them for sixteen seventeen years, um, and they're not in great health. Um, but uh, but they're still they're all still there. But but Farley's taken over the business. But at, at the time I met her, she was not friendly. Me and I just described it as I saw it. I I didn't know whether she just thought I was hopeless or taking up too much of her parents' time or or what. I, I think it was more the the former. That I think so was, too. Yeah, yeah, that's that, my sense. You know that anybody with half a sense, you know, a common sense would 
would not do the, the stupid things that this woman is doing. And, and she just thought that, that I was, you know, okay, my mother can take care of this because I, I don't have any patience for this, for this fool. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's, that's um, how the relationship continued through the book. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking with Margaret Winslow. She's the author of Smartass, How a Donkey Challenged Me to Accept His True Nature and Rediscover My Own. And it's the Magical Mystery Tour on WGDR Plainfield, WGDH Hardwick, Goddard College Community Radio. One thing that, that I remember well is that after Caleb had trampled you, and you were, you were, you thought the only solution was to get rid of him, and you brought him up to the the Bridgmans, mm-hmm. and and you left for I think for six weeks, or or a few weeks anyway. Yeah, it was probably at least six weeks, mm-hmm. and and you had asked whether there was any hope for him, considering that he had attacked you the way he did. And I think Farley said, well, you never know. Maybe yes, maybe no. And then when you, went, when you returned six weeks later or so, she had, she had completely trained him. And I remember you saying that he looked like he had lost his spirit. Yeah. And you, there were these these little girl, young girls riding him, and he was behaving perfectly. Yes, like like a robot. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the perfect riding animal, or as they say at these stables, the uh, perfect schooling horse, you know, basically push button. And, and that made me sad, actually. Um, you know, on the one hand, you know, having a safe companion animal that that did what I wanted seemed to be my stated goal all along. However, it was Caleb's spirit that I really resonated with, and he just seemed like, like, yeah, that, that he had lost his spirit, and I felt very sad about that. But all you had to do was, was actually get on him and start riding around, <laughs> and he, he quickly started misbehaving again <laughs> yeah. yeah he and he, farley uh, had read, a, he read he read me uh, he read you and farley had had a comment about that i think i seem to remember yeah she had more than one i'm trying to remember <laughs> which one got into the book but um yeah that that you know that that caleb had been you know for the last you know i left him there all summer and the last couple weeks he had you know even the smallest least experienced rider could could ride him without any trouble and uh, at least under the watchful eye of Farley with her big lunge whip okay that may have been one factor because the the authority is standing right there to to uh, intervene if necessary uh, so you know this was just strictly in a controlled environment but but yeah she was just astonished and so were the little girls that as soon as I got on, on him, he just took off and started trying to scrape me off on the wall and misbehaving again. And uh, that, you know, that, that is the relationship, you know, four years with him that, um, 
or three years with him that I had developed um, uh, that exactly the wrong thing. Right. That, that, that he was completely uh, disobedient with me again. Right. During those those three plus years, he had, your relationship had devolved. I mean, the training had gone yes. south. <laughs> yes, that is right. And they said, um, you know, early on that uh, a green rider, I was very uh, also very fearful because I'd been thrown by a horse ran away with me when I was 20 and threw me and I injured my neck, upper back. And I had been really, really a nervous. I hadn't ridden for like 30 years. And then I was a very nervous rider for one thing. And so they always say, and this is true with horse people too, that, that, you know, a, a green animal should have a well-trained owner, uh, who can help them along. And a green rider should have a well-trained horse. And we were green on green, according to them. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the thing is, Caleb had become a well-trained horse, at least under the watchful eye of Farley. But I hadn't changed. And Caleb was used to this, you know, negative relationship with me. And so, you know, so he started acting up all over again. Um, and then finally, I... And <clears throat> the reason why I was going to get rid of him, besides the fact that he had injured me, is I became fearful again, very fearful. Uh, so I knew that I couldn't work with him because I was just almost, you know, shaking all over with with fear about even coming near him. And that that's not good. I recognize, you know, that much. But also because things were just coming to a head in my school um, with this new entrepreneurial model, um, that it was, I was the worst person to have, to be working with Caleb, period, mm -hmm. or with with any any animal other than, um, you know, any animal probably at that point. So it may be an independent, well, I had an independent cat, that was okay. But, um, but I just, uh, given that Caleb would not ignore me uh, and just behave, say, like a cat would do, uh, that he was so tuned into me that I knew that I was just the wrong person for him, and I felt tremendous grief about this. Um, but I wanted to do the responsible thing, and that was to find him another owner who would work with him, uh, you know, and, and understand him better. And I felt terrible about it um, and was constantly tossing and turning about it. And then finally when Farley said, you know, that she uh, had a you know couple of well-trained mules for sale and, you know, one... The ones that she described as broke to death, which is meant as a compliment, you know, meaning it's a push-button animal. I just, something in me said, no, it, it's Caleb or nobody. I, I didn't want another ride, uh, you know, safe ride. I wanted Caleb, and I wanted to work with him and make it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and there's that, there's that dynamic of of the way Caleb would always stand up for himself. And even though he, he misunderstood your intentions and your 
your state of mind and your feelings, he would not allow himself to to take the kind of abuse that you unknowingly were were dishing out to him by showing up in a frustrated and distracted state. That's right. And unknowingly, but it was definitely um, abuse. Uh, I, I faced it uh, head on, um, honestly, in the book. Um, you know, this miscommunication and the ramifications of it. Um, you know, not all of which was, was um, serious. Some of it resulted in some funny adventures. But, um, yeah, I tried to be very honest about it. And I, um, you know, I don't come across as, as the perfect person, which which none of us is, but I, I'm more than others, and especially at that time in my life. And I couldn't step back. I didn't have time uh, or uh, or the clarity of mind to step back and look at not only my life and career, but but my uh, relationship with Caleb. So, so yeah, I I faced it head on. Um, I I've only gotten one. Um, I've gotten wonderful reviews, but I've only gotten one that was not so positive, and it and it did allude to this that that you know that I kept making the same mistake over and over. Well, yeah, I did. Um, and uh, each time I learned something and sometimes unlearned it. Um, but that that's what the whole narrative of the book is about. Mm-hmm. But your intentions were really good. Yeah. And in the end, somehow or other, Caleb got that and he was able to forgive you. And that was, I think that was one of the comments that Jack Bridgman made Yes, that's right. He did. Um, in fact, um, I I was thinking somehow in my still muddled brain that I needed to forgive Caleb for trampling me. But Jack said, and I didn't expect him to say it. He said, "But Caleb forgave you. He forgave me uh, for all the." misunderstandings and frustrations and stuff. And I needed to hear that right then before I brought Caleb home again. Mm-hmm. So what what was it that shifted in you that made it made you forgivable for Caleb? I, you know, I asked a, um, the the top donkey behaviors in the world is Ben Hart. He's at the Donkey Sanctuary in, in Britain. And I uh, I sent him a copy of my book, and I ran into him in October, um, and he'd already read it. And I, I didn't know whether he, you know, since I did everything absolutely wrong um, multiple times, I, I was I had no idea what he was going to think about the book, but he actually liked it a lot. And But he said, um, well, he said two things. He said, I didn't put this, and he, I would never put this in writing, but some of those trainers, I wanted to punch them. And, and that's not the Bridgmans, but that was subsequent ones, and um, who just didn't get donkeys at all. But but he said, he's, he also said that Caleb forgave me. And, and they said something else. He said, through it all, Caleb knew how hard you were trying to have a relationship. 
and that really touched me. Um, and since it came out after the book came out, I, it's not in the book per se, but he, Caleb understood how hard I was trying to have a relationship with him, even though I was doing so many things wrong. And that, that really meant a lot to me. And that was something about this whole story that, that really touched me, is that that we humans, in our relationships, in our relationships with our intimate partners, could learn so much from this story, I think, of what's possible if we, if we can just shift our perspective a little or, or see things a little differently. If we can be present with all of our senses, tuned in without filters, without preconceived notions, that, yeah, the potential in our relationships with one another is, is pretty much unlimited. And also to recognize when somebody deep down underneath all of the bad behaviors and and bad habits that have developed over the years really does deeply want a a real meaningful relationship underneath it all. Yes, yes. And, um, uh, yeah. So that there is, so that there is a real basis for forgiveness of all those other things. That's right. And I know that Caleb, donkeys in general, and probably most animals have very good memories. I don't think he forgot all the mistakes. Um, I think some of the time um, he was probably laughing at me while I was hopping mad and <laughs> stomping off. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he it's not a matter of just instant forgetting. I, I think he remembers um, and uh, that and yet you know I'm, I'm his prime relationship in life. Right. I suspect that if you reverted back to that that earlier behavior of being extremely frustrated and oblivious at the same time that he, he might well respond the same way. Not, yes. not out of maliciousness but just that that's that's the only way he knew how to protect himself or stand yes. up for himself. To protect his spirit, yeah. And I, I think, you know, through the millennia since they were domesticated, because they're, um, I, I think that was their way to protect their spirit. The, the reputation that they can be stubborn or mean uh, was a was a way, given how terribly they were treated throughout most of history, uh, was their way of, of yeah, protecting their spirit. That, that that's the one thing they just will not lose or give away. And in that way, that's something that, that we humans could learn another really valuable, I mean, very valuable lesson from donkeys. Yes, I think so. Um, Not necessarily to be mean or malicious towards another person, but but to recognize that we can, that maybe there we can find other creative ways to protect our our spirit. 
Yes, and, and one of the things that Caleb did, which is mentioned right in the first chapter and throughout, is one of the things that donkeys will do is is turtle, uh, what they call turtle, which is a, they'll lower their head between their front legs and lower their tail, and they, they will kind of like go, um, you know, inert in a way. Uh, and uh, if, if people will, you know, don't get it or they're trying to, you know, make them, uh, work too hard or something, and they they see this turtle behavior. They they assume well they're a stubborn or stupid. You know, they, this donkey has no idea what I want. He's just completely blank. Um, but what he's doing is he's protecting himself. So what what have you learned to do in that circumstance? Well, I still, even though um, I took uh, early retirement, I, I didn't just leave. <laughs> my job, but I, you know, I had several more years, and and lots of things changed for the better. But um, I uh, I did take early retirement and, and began writing my books, and uh, that alone has made a difference. But I'm still mindful. You know, anyone can have a, a bad day, say, and I'm still mindful on my way over to the stable. It's it's five miles away just enough time for me to think and realign my thoughts. And I really don't want to show up there in in some state of preoccupation, whether it's about a health issue or, or you know, something, you know, going on in the family. I, I don't want to do it. And by the way, um, Caleb has knocked a couple of people over at the stable, their employees, uh, and, and now very often uh, that'll result in a horse or donkey getting kicked out of the stable because safety is everything. But but in both cases, because the people knew him for so long, said it was because they were in kind of a, a state, you know, impatient, mad, and not just every day, you know, because everybody can be impatient, mad, the sun's going down, it's cold out, the temperature's dropping, i got to put his blanket on, um, I'm tired, I'm underpaid, or whatever is going through their minds. But but, but both of them admitted to me that, you know, I was re- really mad about something that day, and I was just fed up. Um, and and they acknowledged that that, that is why, the you know, because Caleb is normally very nice and affectionate to everybody, that's why it happened, and so it could still happen. Mm-hmm. Donkey is biofeedback mechanism. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Absolutely perfect way to put it. <laughs> right. They have these, supposedly they're these, these emotional, feeling gemstones that change color. I don't know if they're real or not. Oh, yes, the mood stones or mood whatever stones, they're called. Right. Yeah. So with, with Caleb, Caleb will... Will let you know in in one way or another how you're feeling, or even if you're you know, usually when when we're caught up in 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 our own stuff, we're we're kind of lost to the world and lost mm-hmm. to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so yes, he's he's my my mood stone or touchstone. Yes, and you've also learned to respect that that it can be very dangerous to. Uh, rely on that too much yes yes um the the, it's not like a cat who 
who the worst you'll get is is a scratch or a bite. Yeah. Or a dog that that might might bite. Yeah. With a horse or a donkey, it could be your life. It could be uh, yeah, a serious or, injury, and right. it, it never uh, came to that. And and by the way, the other horses at the stable seem to be much more oblivious to to the humans around them. Um, I've talked to some other owners, um, you know, and I and they'll acknowledge that sometimes, you know, that the, the horse will act up more if, if they're um, going through a bad time, but usually not. It's usually so. I had a bad ride today because the, there was a high wind and it kind of freaked the horse out. And they're very obvious uh, physical, environmental things that they're tuned into and, and not so much into humans, um, which is which is what I think some of the later trainers, and I expected Caleb would be that way, that, that he was reacting to something in the environment and not to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. Um, there was a, a, a poem that I love, and there's just one stanza. Um, it's by G.K. Chesterton. It's called The Donkey. And um, But just the third of the fourth stanza, if I could read this, um, it sort of speaks to the donkey throughout history. Um, The tattered outlaw of the earth, of ancient crooked will, starve, scourge, deride me, I am dumb, I keep my secret still. And that sort of sums up uh, that that inner core of donkey that, that is that cannot be Touched. And I think we we talked about this last time that horses traditionally are broken, meaning their spirit is broken. Um, and when you break a horse by intimidation, uh, by use of painful aids um, and other things, you you make them submissive to you. Uh, and a donkey will never submit that way. You. you you use negative reinforcement with them, and you get a very mean animal. Um, with me, I never used negative reinforcement. I just did everything absolutely wrong <laughs> and got frustrated and walked off and yelled and things. But um, but I never, you know, intentionally hurt him, nor would I ever agree to, to do traditional um, breaking. And, and I'm glad that I didn't let any of the trainers try because he never would have submitted. And I now understand that, that donkeys will not ever be broken. Mm. Well, it's been a pleasure to talk with you again. It's amazing how, how time flies. Yeah, you know, um, we uh, there's so many funny stories in the book, um, and we got on the most serious topics today. Could, could I give you a few seconds of Caleb speaking? Yes. If, if there's time? Yes. Okay, here it is. How's that? <laughs> that that came through. Oops, now I just got to turn it off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Off. Okay. Yeah. Hello. Okay, we'll get away from it. 
39 seconds there. Mm -hmm. Yes, okay. Uh, <laughs> obviously a recording. Mm -hmm. Oh, there, there's the off button. Okay. So again, <laughs> thank you so much, Margie Winslow. Thank you very much, Tonio. Your new book, your latest book is Smart Ass, How a Donkey Chain... I'm sorry, how a donkey challenged me to accept his true nature and rediscover my own. And unfortunately, we don't have time to play the song that I found. Oh. <laughs> but I'll send it to you. Yes, thank you very much. I'm creating a playlist of um, songs about donkeys. You just heard a song by a donkey. Now, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'm collecting ones about donkeys. Okay. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Tony, for having me on again. And we'll stay in touch. I hope we will, yes. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye, and be bye -bye. well. Bye-bye. And that's it for this Magical Mystery Tour. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, have a wonderful week.